Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke. In this podcast series, I'll be sharing conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice for your medical practice. In the podcast today, we'll be exploring the topic of coronary CT angiography. It's estimated that 600,000 Australians have coronary artery disease. In the year 2017-18, there were 1.2 million hospitalizations for cardiovascular presentations. These included coronary artery disease, stroke and heart failure. And more than one in four deaths were due to cardiovascular disease, the majority of which were acute coronary events. Higher rates are seen amongst our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population. Early prediction of coronary artery disease and subsequent intervention is the focus of our conversation with experienced cardiologist and super-friendly Dr. James Supontis, who will explore the indications and applications of CCTA. Please join me with James Supontis. Uh, now, Dr. James Sapontis, thank you very much for joining me today on uh, Everyday Medicine. Uh, we were talking before we started about the number of coronary events in Australia. There are 55,000 coronary events, and uh, that's a, a myocardial infarction every 10 minutes, which is a very big caseload. And, of course, we're all dedicated to try and reduce um, the uh, morbidity and mortality from events like ischemic heart disease. So I would like to talk to you today about... Uh, coronary CT angiography and calcium scores. But just before I do, uh, you've been in coronary uh, cardiac, cardiac practice for uh, over 10 years as a specialist. Tell us a little bit about why you chose that specialty. Um, thank you, Luke. Um, there's several reasons why I think I went into cardiovascular medicine. Um, firstly, I, it's a very common uh, um, um, problem in today's society. It affects um, quite a, a large proportion of the actual community. Um, the second thing is that um, it involves a different subset of uh, clinical issues, including diabetes, hypertension, uh, uh, lipid disorders as well. Um, and if you really think about it, it does touch a lot of uh, different people throughout society in other specialties as well, um, particularly uh, people going for perioperative medicine or, uh, sorry, perioperative procedures and um, uh, different aspects of um comorbidities that also involve the heart as well. Uh, and lastly, particularly in my field of practice, which is interventional cardiology, I like the hands-on approach of being able to treat patients, uh, particularly patients coming in with heart attacks. I'm able to treat them instantaneously mm. and have mm. the gratification of being able to essentially relieve them of a illness that could potentially kill them within hours. Mm. Mm. Uh, and it's also very satisfactory being able to open up an artery and see the patient sit back up and Mm. tell you that they feel well and then watch mm. and go home two or three days later. It's one of those areas in medicine which I guess a bit like emergency where you're right hands on, aren't you? Uh, I guess that also does, it impacts on your private life to some degree, which we might come to later on. But I think that that special interest you have in uh, intervention, and you're an expert in that and, and well regarded for that, leads us to this discussion of uh, C CTA. Uh, can you tell us about that, how, how it helps us with management of people with ischemic heart disease, um, how you assess patients for that, how you choose them, how GPs should refer, and uh, yeah, there's a few questions there, and also the calcium score. But just what is it, first of all, James? How, how, do, we, so, how do we approach it? Um, I guess, Luke, when me and you were in medical school, uh, CT scans were really uh, offered for, for, for the brain and the abdomen and, yes. and, and the limbs. Yes. And one of the benefits about a CT is that it gives an accurate picture of a very static object. 
um, and you can see down to some pretty um, impressive details about uh, the pathology going on in different organs. And one of the limitations we used to have in the past was um, visualising the coronary vessels themselves was really limited to invasive coronary angiography, um, which you know, is an excellent um, gold standard for investigations of the coronary vessels. However, because, uh, as you mentioned before, cardiovascular disease is so prolific in our mm. society, it's hard to place everybody onto the angiogram table in order to exclude patients, for example, that may have symptoms that do sound like they're cardiovascularly um, entailed, but are of a low risk group, for example, if they're young, mm. uh, the symptoms are intermittent, etc. So um, over a period of time, we found that um, a CT scan it started to develop in their abilities to be able to section the body in certain um, time limits. And originally we had a CT scan section in the body approximately eight slices every minute. Mm. But as time go has gone on, we've been able to increase that uh, with multiple detectors. And so now we have CT scanners um, slicing the body 320, 640, and 1,028 times per minute, which gives us very quick, very accurate scans of um, certain areas of the body. Now, in principle, if we are able to take certain number of slices through the heart, um, what would change the, the image um, itself was when the heart would have a heartbeat um, and that would, will blur the image. But if we're able to take slices in between heartbeats, the heart is actually quite static in the diastolic filling. So mm. using those basic principles, we're able to actually take pictures of coronary vessels in between heart rates. Um, and as by injecting dye into the patient and waiting for that dye to in, go into the coronary vessels, we're able to take very accurate, quick pictures between heart rates and then reconstruct those pictures into a 3D an, uh, analysis of the coronary vessels. And in, in essence, that's what a CT uh, coronary angiogram is or a CTCA. How accurate is it in terms of picking up atherosclerosis? So it's it's, it is quite accurate. Um, it does, um, through a, a lot of studies, um, you know, the Scott Hart um, study, which was the most recent one uh, available, we've seen that it has a very, very good um, uh, negative predictive value. In fact, its sensitivity of picking up atherosclerosis is approaching 100%. Mm. Um, where it has its limitations is in its specificity, mm. um, and that is in trying to diagnose accurately the um, a stenotic area of uh, the coronary vessels, whether it's a, a 50% stenosis versus a 70% stenosis, mm. Mm. Um, is sometimes, sometimes hindered. Um, and the presence of a lot of calcification around arteries, as we know in CTC, um, calcium causes a, a blooming artifact, which can mm. then uh, impair um, the, 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 the accurate rep, um, reading of, of stenotic arteries as well. So. In summary, it's very, very sensitive. It's not as specific. Mm. Um, but we are starting to see now that its use is not only in trying to um, diagnose coronary artery stenosis, but also determining the um, long-term effects of atherosclerosis in patients as well. Um, the recent Scott Hart study has shown that it can be as, uh, is, is as equal, if not maybe even slightly better than uh, non-invasive um, um, non-invasive cardiac stress testing um, at picking up coronary artery disease. But additionally, it also helps prevent further myocardial infarction. Can, can you tell about 
clot stability? Is there any way of looking at whether the clot's uh, got a, uh, sorry, atherosclerotic plaque, I should say, yeah. whether that's got um, any fissures in it or whether it's unstable? Is, are we able to tell that degree of kind of uh, so the, the detail? Short, the, the short answer to that is yes. Um, I try to explain. The, the, the beauty about CT coronary angiography and linking into the calcium score, which is usually um, given at the same time, is that I try to make patients understand um, the simplicity of, of it all is that a, a coronary vessel isn't like a PVC pipe. It's actually like a, a toilet paper roll. Mm. And the blood flows where the cardboard um, is localised. Mm. And the, the plaque or the atherosclerosis mm. or the cholesterol sits between the layers of the paper. Mm. And as that atherosclerotic plaque enlarges, it causes the cardboard to crush down. Now, the, the, the issues that we have is that we really do have two pathologies going on. We have stenosis, which is a reduction of blood flow which falls in the anginal group. Mm. And then you have the, the, the development of plaque, or basically also known as unstable plaque. Mm. And, and um, you know, a lot of our colleagues will have heard of a plaque rupture, which um, can cause uh, acute occlusion of an artery, which is then a myocardial infarction. And the CT helps in two ways. It will pick up a, a coronary artery stenosis, but it will help also find um, areas of what, is what we call low attenuations or changes in the colour in the wall of the vessel which indicates plaque. And there are four or five different types of um, characteristics that we look, about in, that we look at in, in this plaque to determine whether it is unstable or stable. Mm. And we know that plaque itself uh, goes through a transformation process from microcalcification, which is only seen in a histological sample, to um, spotty calcification, which is actually picked up on CT, and then dense calcification, which we see in the coronary um, angiographic lab. And we know there's a direct correlation with the amount of spotty calcification with the amount of atherosclerotic cal um, uh, plaque you have. So by performing what is called a calcium score, which is basically, you know, for lack of a better explanation or a simple one, is counting how many calcium dots you have around your heart, I can tell how much atherosclerotic plaque you have. And based on that number, I can then determine what your risk is going to be of having a heart attack in the future. And this is the first time possibly in the last five years to a decade that we've been able to quantify accurately mm. um, how much atherosclerosis a person has around their arteries. Um, and that's one of the most powerful uses Boy, we have for the CT. That is very clever. Um, so. In, in regard to that calcification that we just mentioned, do you, in the workup of a patient, do you look for a calcification score before you might then commit to the CCTA? Um, look, or is it all at the same time? Yeah, look, it, it, it all depends. You know, there are obviously certain nuances, and I think, you know, it depends on what the presenting symptom of the patient is. Um, uh, I try to stratify patients into low, intermediate, and high risk groups. I still feel that a patient that you know is presented to me or referred on to me by a GP that is high risk, mm. multiple risk factors, mm. clear evidence of exertional angina mm. uh, or maybe a prior previous cardiac history, it's better um, um, dealt with with probably coronary um, uh, or invasive angiography. Yeah, invasive angiography. Mm. Mm. However, a lower intermediate risk patient. Um, um, I would be looking at um, a CTCA as a possible um, test, for example, if there's an equivocal stress test, mm. or for example, if the patient represents recurrent chest pains um, with a negative uh, stress test as well. The CTCA is an excellent tool of being able to say, 
guess what? This patient's got normal coronary vessels, mm. okay? Mm. Um, you don't need to do any more cardiac investigations yes. on them. Alternatively, looking at the, the atherosclerotic uh, burden plus the risk profile going into the future, I, I get a lot of patients wanting to know, for example, um, what their risk of having a heart attack is, considering that their fathers or their mothers have mm. a very high risk mm. of heart disease or have had heart disease very early. Um, and it's hard to understand that with a simple cholesterol level, for mm. example, mm. particularly in, in, let's just say, a 40-year-old male or a 50-year-old female that probably doesn't have comorbidities like hypertension, obesity, or diabetes. Um, and a CTCA is very useful in this way. Um, you um, can perform a CTCA, which does not involve any um, contrast. Mm. Uh, it can be done in under five minutes um, and will give you an actual score and you are able to determine whether the patient has a a low, intermediate, or high risk of, of a coronary event in the next five years. Um, and you're able to then um, um, report back to the patient what mm. their actual mm. risk is mm. from a quantified um, process. Mm. And maybe change the strategies and management based on Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. So that's very powerful. Do, when you do find worrisome features at a CCTA, do you then have to commit to invasive angiography before, say, stenting, or do you... Are you comfortable enough just to stent based on what you've seen? Uh, you definitely need to do invasive coronary angiography. As mentioned, um, you know, the CT can overcall a lot of lesions. What would be deemed severe on a CT mm. um, often um, is seen as mild on a coronary angiogram. Mm. Um, you know, however, we're finding that technology is changing and evolving and um, CTCA is heading towards also being able to determine uh, quantification of lesions based on flow dynamics. Um, at this point in time at, at Monash, uh, we are, are looking at trying to determine not only how narrowed an artery is, but whether it would cause a reduction in blood flow as well. So it is progressing to becoming far, <coughs> excuse me, far, far more accurate, but at this stage, um, it's not as accurate as what we'd like to do okay. in those areas. Do you, do you see it, uh, James, as a way of maybe avoiding stress testing, uh, stress echocardiography, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, radioinfluent stress testing? Is it going to replace those sorts of modalities, do you think? Uh, look, if I could have a crystal ball looking into the future, I, I would suspect um, and don't quote me on this, but I would suspect that it is going to take a large chunk of that away. Mm. Um, it will also produce a little more work in that area because I think we're going to be able to diagnose more coronary artery disease earlier in patients. Um, and we're going to want to know whether that is significant or insignificant disease based on stress testing. Mm. Um, however, looking to the future, if you can do one test that can completely exclude to 100% accuracy coronary artery disease in a patient. Mm. Um, for example, a 26-year-old female, why not do that test first instead of putting her through tests mm. that are at most 85% accurate? Well, suppose I had, uh, I refer to a patient here who's in his 50s with hardly any risk factors, but chest pain that sounded suggestive of ischemia. And maybe I'll look at him from a gastroenterological point of view and I've worked out it's not reflux. Um, would you put that patient through a stress test for snub, or would you, in discussion, consider doing a CCTA? What would be your sort of protocol there, your mental arithmetic on that one? So uh, it all depends on the patient's symptoms and review of the symptoms themselves. What's very important for me in my practice is trying to replicate the patient's symptoms and assessing the heart at that point in time. Um, rest pain or pain at rest um, is a lot harder to 
um, quantify um, in terms of coronary artery disease because um, you'd want to have the patient have pain at the time at rest and then look at the hardware mm. with an echocardiogram to determine whether there is a coronary stenosis. So I, I try to maybe point towards a CTCA in those um, situations. Mm. Exertional mm. chest pains I feel are better suited um, possibly for initial stress testing because if you can initiate the pain on exertion um, and you don't see any uh, uh, evidence of coronary ischemia, then whether the, the CTCA is positive or negative, you still know there's no flow-limiting lesions. Right, okay. So um, you're able to try to differentiate those two in, mm. in that aspect. Mm. Um, but in an initial process, I try to divide them up based on the symptoms. How good is CTTA looking at other things in the heart? Um, ventricular function, valvular stenosis, etc. Can, can we tell anything about those sorts of pathologies? We're getting a lot better at this, um, far better than what we used to. In fact, every patient now going for a, a transaortic valve implantation is getting a CT rather than an echocardiogram. Um, most um, cardiac surgery that's performed in, in young patients are uh, are requesting CT coronary angiograms rather than invasive coronary angiography. Um, patients that have intracardiac masses, such as um, you know atrial myxomas or mm. something of that nature, are requesting cardiac CT. And additionally, um, things such as uh, interventricular shunts or atrial shunts are also requiring CT because we're able to image the inside of the mm. the, the heart in extreme detail. Mm. Um, and imagine seeing the heart through two heart cycles with a 1,028 slices through it, um, mm. taken every you know uh, 0.2 seconds. You're able to really see this mm. in detail, and the inside of the heart at the time of um, imaging has contrast throughout all of it. So you are able to see a mm. lot of detail within there. The functional capacity of valves is not quite um, there yet, but um, Extra cardiac compression is also an important aspect we can see as well. So we are getting a lot better at looking at the um, large anatomical details of the heart itself. Can a GP order this? Or is it just something a cardiologist really should be involved with in terms of uh, so asking I, for the procedure? I think that's an important point, Luke, because at this point in time, um, Medicare doesn't allow GPs to order this test. Um, there will be changes to the MBS rebate system in the future and there has been discussion about possibly involving GPs in the, in the decision process because you know, they are primary care physicians, mm. they have a very good idea of their, their patient's symptoms and um, what they think could be coronary disease themselves. Um, additionally, um, the coronary, uh, a CT coronary angiogram is rebatable on the MBS if a patient has symptoms of chest pain. Mm. However, um, apart from a equivocal stress test or a positive stress test without symptoms of chest pain, reimbursement's a lot more difficult. And, and the last point to note is that uh, calcium scores uh, done by themselves are not rebatable. So it's an out-of-pocket mm. expense mm. usually for the patient. Mm. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, I'm sure we'll see some changes of that in due course, but um, like all things in medicine, it's a moving set of goalposts, isn't it? Uh, one other thing that I, I, we discussed very briefly before we started this was about the coronary events and the incidence of them, and I think they're trending down. The statistics show that. Why do you think that is? So, is it dental care, James? Is it, um, you know, is it the coronary intervention from people like yourself or so, regulation? Yeah, look, I think um, we are becoming... Um, 
better at treating coronary disease, uh, hands down. Um, there are numerous reasons um, why coronary events and, and heart disease is being treated effectively. Not only are we um, passing on the message of you know, smoking reduction, which mm. when Australia uh, has a smoking rate of approximately 8%, which is mm. far less than other countries mm. in Europe, which is yeah. obviously in the double di digits. Additionally, um, we're getting extra, uh, excellent work in modification of risk factors. Uh, particularly at the GP level. Mm. Um, we've got very clear guidelines on how to treat cholesterol measurements. Um, you know, patients, um, we have patients being referred early for coronary investigations. And additionally, um, with the use of, you know, CTCA, et cetera, we are picking mm. up these things mm. relatively early. Um, in terms of people living longer through cardiovascular disease, we are getting a lot better at treating cardiac um, disease themselves. So we're finding now uh, in the past where one a patient would have one heart attack, which would cause their demise. Patients can have five or six now before they, they finally pass away from it because we are getting so much better at treating it. Well, we're very lucky to have, have you on board, James, and particularly in this sphere that I'm working in, in this um, health precinct. Um, I might just ask you uh, as well, the, the three most important things, the takeaway things for a GP in regard to this subject, what, what would they be? I think, um, first of all, is understanding what risk your patient is, whether it's intermediate um, or high risk. Um, the, the, the second is having a good uh, rapport with your cardiologist. I think that's very mm. important um, with my mm. primary care physicians. I, I prefer them to you know, write me a letter and sort of or, or refer and say, look, I think this patient needs a CTCA, then yeah. I, I'm very happy yeah. for doing yeah. that. And I, I think it's also clear communication to the patient as well as sort of to inform them, you don't have heart disease, we're investigating the possibility. Um, and we are very good at treating this because patients can get very nervous about um, this type of condition. So I think um, in summary is, you know, understand your patient, good communications with your specialist and um, communications with your patient would be the key. James, thank you very much for joining me. I'd like to invite you back next week to talk about heart failure. Would that be okay? That'd be amazing. Uh, thank thank you. you very much. That was a great conversation with James, who I think was able to crystallise the place of CCTA in the workup of patients with suspected coronary artery disease very elegantly. During the podcast series, we'll be covering a wide range of topics across many special interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only, and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversations you've listened to are welcome to maybe email to manager at geohealth.com.au.